Hello, Dementia Matters podcast listeners. Thank you for returning to the podcast during this COVID-19 pandemic. I know you have a lot on your mind, and despite being at home, I know life is not easy. It's an understatement to say we are living in an extraordinary time, but whatever you want to call this ongoing experience, it is asking extraordinary things of us. And life doesn't just stop because of it, which is why this podcast continues. I want to pivot here on Dementia Matters and address important issues affecting those with cognitive impairment and those without during this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. I cannot cover all the issues and frankly shouldn't. I encourage you to go to trusted sources for specific information, such as the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, your state and local health department websites, and the Alzheimer's Association. You can also find resources on our website at adrc.wisc.edu, that's adrc.wisc.edu, and that of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Institute at wai.wisc.edu. For other interesting and important stories on the COVID-19 pandemic, I would recommend my colleague at UW Health, Dr. Jonathan Kohler of the Surgery Set Podcast, who has a special series called The Frontlines of COVID. We will include these links to all these resources in our show notes. For those of you affected by Alzheimer's disease or any cause of cognitive impairment, you know better than anyone that it takes a community to care for those affected and to work on the front lines of treatment, prevention, and cure. What we face with COVID-19 is no different. We all are needed in this fight, and I thank you for whatever it is that you're doing. Take care and be safe. My guest today on Dementia Matters is Dr. Vinny Minichiello. Dr. Vinny is a board-certified family physician and assistant professor within the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Department of Family Medicine and Community Health. He completed both a family medicine residency and an academic integrative health fellowship in Madison, Wisconsin. He has completed training in medical acupuncture and mindfulness teacher training. Dr. Vinny's research has focused on developing, facilitating, and evaluating mindfulness training programs for resident physicians. Welcome, Dr. Vinny, to Dementia Matters. Thank you, Dr. Chin. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We're doing a special series on Dementia Matters that addresses issues being faced by our listeners during the COVID-19 pandemic. One of the topics discussed earlier is, is the anxiety and stress that comes with isolation and disruption of our daily routines. So on today's program, I want to focus on mindfulness and the benefits of mindfulness practice. We hear a lot of talk about mindfulness. So to begin, how do you describe mindfulness to someone? I think one of the first things that I want to acknowledge even before starting the conversation is just um, simply expressing some gratitude for all the teachers and mentors that I have worked with and trained with over the years that have really helped to inform um, my own practice of mindfulness and my understanding of it as well. So when I talk about mindfulness with people, um, I think it's important to understand that there, there are many different ways to describe mindfulness. I think on reflecting on this question, what comes up for me is that it's, it's a practice that involves choosing to bring awareness to the present moment with a quality of kindness in our attention. And so often this mindful attention might come in the form of a simple pause or a breath, or sometimes it can come in the form of an extended practice. 
So that can be done sitting or lying down, standing, walking, or through other forms of movement. One other piece that I think is really important to mention is that out of this pause, whatever form that pause takes, we might begin to see in a different light our relationship to ourselves and to those around us. And through recognizing or just simply being aware of this relationship, we then might choose to respond to ourselves or respond to others around us in a way that is perhaps healthy as well as compassionate. That's a wonderful explanation. And thank you for for sharing that. And I do hope our listeners can rewind and go back over that because that is one of the most thoughtful and comprehensive ways of looking at it. I'm not even going to ask you my next question, frankly, because I think you did such a nice job. Mindfulness is not the same thing as meditation and breathing exercises. I mean, it's so much more than that. And that awareness that you speak of, I think, is really important, especially during this time of the pandemic. I do wonder if you can share with us how mindfulness works. How does it affect our body? Yeah. Um, it's, it's fascinating, fascinating research. And this is research that's been going on for decades now. And what I'll share is just really, really tip of the iceberg since the effects of mindfulness really are, uh, are quite systemic. Um, a few of the things kind of specifically that the research has pointed to, um, different areas, one altering brain activity. So, um, people are, have shown that Uh, through functional MRIs, there's actually the prefrontal cortex actually gets activated more. And specifically, one of the areas that has been shown to be activated more is the left anterior cerebral cortex um, and other areas of the brain that are linked to positive mood. Um, There's also an increase of activation in the brain attention centers through mindfulness practice. And what's fascinating about this, too, is that a lot of these studies show that while some of the research is done in sort of the Olympians of meditators, so uh, Tibetan monks that Richie Davidson at the UW Center for Healthy Minds has has worked with, um, that population has shown benefit. And even people that have practiced for just short periods of time, I think one study looked at even just a couple months, uh, showed that there are brain changes that are showing up as a result of practice. In addition uh, to brain changes, we actually see a lot of changes in different biomarkers. So different uh, uh, signals of uh, inflammation or stress in our body. So noting that through mindfulness practice, there are changes in cortisol levels, C-reactive protein, um, TNF-alpha. These are different factors that can be related to markers of stress. Um, In addition, we see through uh, mindfulness practice that there can be changes to blood pressure, to heart rate. Um, There can be changes to how the body's immune system functions. Uh, There is uh, some influences specifically on the T lymphocyte counts uh, in people uh, that have HIV and cancer. Um, One other study that I'll just share too, which is fascinating, is that uh, there have actually been changes in lengths of the telomeres. So this is part of the chromosome. So we're talking uh, in our in our genome, in our DNA. Uh, this telomere 
is uh, associated with a person's uh, risk of chronic illness and mortality. And there's actually some research that have shown that compassion meditations have actually increased the length of telomeres. Um, and this is something that uh, meditation practice can, can have an effect on as well. So it seems very diverse and profound as far as the impact of mindfulness on the body. I know that when, when I'm practicing mindfulness, afterwards I feel less tense and I feel like my muscles are more relaxed. I mean, is that a common response? Yeah. And so this, you know, it's funny. This is an interesting thing. So part of the work that I do too is through the VA hospital system nationally. And uh, we share some of the work that uh, some of the research around mindfulness to different clinicians throughout the VA hospital system. And one of the, one of the things that we talk about when uh, we present on mindfulness is, is kind of what mindfulness is and what mindfulness is not. And, uh, this is a perfect example of your question, Dr. Chin, is, uh, you know, mindfulness in and of itself isn't explicitly uh, a practice with the intention of relaxing us, right? However, uh, often, whether it's intended or unintended consequence of it is that we do experience an, a sense of relaxation in our bodies. Uh, so, so yes, absolutely, to answer your question, uh, that is, that will be something that will show up for a lot of people. I think, especially initially, as you enter into uh, mindfulness training and practice. Well, knowing that mindfulness really affects our body in so many different ways, you know, what conditions or medical problems do you recommend mindfulness as a treatment option? Um, so, one thing that I, I just want to share briefly, a little interlude that I, I think can be helpful to share is recognizing um, in the terminology that we're using with, with mindfulness as a, as a practice, and then uh, mindfulness-based interventions, which is something that's kind of researched and studied in sort of mindfulness training that's packaged in a certain way to be delivered in a, in a research study. Um, and so just keeping that in mind, you know, a lot of the, the research that's been done on mindfulness-based interventions uh, has focused um, primarily, largely on some of the work that came out of uh, University of Massachusetts back in the late 70s through a program that was developed by John Kabat-Zinn called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Uh, so this is one sort of uh, way in which mindfulness teaching, mindfulness training is sort of delivered, I guess you could say, in a research setting. Um, and so if you look over the research since the late 70s through now, many, many uh, different areas in which sort of our, our Western biomedical research has looked at mindfulness-based interventions in specific conditions for specific diagnoses. Um, a few of the ones that are, have very strong evidence uh, would be things like irritable bowel syndrome, a lot of good research on chronic pain, a lot of good research, depression, anxiety, some research showing that um, actually biomarkers for diabetes can actually change as well. Um, people uh, with high blood pressure, people who, uh, who smoke and are interested in quitting smoking. Um, and so these are, these are a lot of the areas that have been, been researched. 
that are sort of disease states that that mindfulness has been shown to have some benefit with. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's also relevant to mention too that it's part of uh, part of what makes mindfulness practice unique is that it it doesn't need to be disease focused. Um, it can actually be health focused. And from some of the teachers that I've worked with, really the underlying philosophy, the underlying principle of mindfulness practice is that we as human beings are already complete. Um, sometimes people would say we're already whole, right? Uh, and so mindfulness as a practice helps to sort of uh, reveal that more easily to us because that can sometimes sort of be uh, there's, can somebody sort of be a veil over that, that philosophy, over that understanding that we are already complete as we move through our lives. Uh, and so I think it's important to mention too, there are many reasons that uh, mindfulness can be really helpful for, uh, to maintain health, right? So helping people through pregnancy, there's a mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting course. Uh, that is very supportive for women that are going through pregnancy and, and afterwards, uh, just as an example. Well, so then knowing that, you know, with, with that answer, where do you see mindfulness practice fitting into healthcare in general, but then also during this COVID-19 pandemic? I think as a, as a family doctor, what I've noticed the benefit of mindfulness really is uh, one in, in supporting me, my own health, my own uh, uh, understanding of my well-being, my own relationship with myself. Um, and it's helped me to start to bridge the gap in my clinical care by really meeting people where they're at when, they, when I talk to people in, in a clinical context. Um, and so I think that that serves a really important role in that way. Um, there's a lot of research now looking at mindfulness in healthcare setting that, uh, mindfulness intervention, mindfulness-based interventions can support, uh, medical students, resident physicians, uh, attending physicians, healthcare professionals of all types to uh, decrease experience of burnout, um, decrease perceived stress, decrease depression, anxiety, um, helping, helping support healthcare professionals in the work that they do. I think what's fascinating too is as you talk about this in the context of, of healthcare professionals, um, and this is really the research that I've been doing, is really being intentional about making sure mindfulness is not a, a Band-Aid approach, right? Often uh, you know, we talk about burnout and people are like, oh, let's just throw some mindfulness at it and that'll make it go away and get better. So it's recognizing that mindfulness is and, and sort of this personal resilience is, is one of one component of a much larger picture of 
a particular healthcare professional's overall sense of professional fulfillment and, and well-being. Um, and so making sure, uh, keeping that kind of in the context as well. You know, you know going to, back into the COVID-19 pandemic, are you able to practice mindfulness with others remotely? Or how are you finding mindfulness um, being useful during the pandemic? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you look at the, the spectrum here uh, of, of how mindfulness can have an impact potentially. Um, and this is a spectrum, really, we talked earlier about the effects of mindfulness practice on immune system health and kind of upregulating up our immune system. Uh, and so really on a, on a physiologic level, there is definitely benefit as we're, we're talking about strengthening our immune systems as we um, are sort of in a place where uh, that can be challenged very easily uh, with COVID-19. Um, on a sort of more uh, human being level, uh, lots, of, lots of ways to practice meditation um, and a lot of different resources that are that are offering opportunities for people to practice meditation um, in this even in the in the midst of COVID-19. Uh, I know the UW Health Mindfulness Program will be rolling out programs that are offered uh, courses that are offered uh, online remotely uh, through video conferencing. Um, there are drop-in sessions also that the UW Health Mindfulness Program has been offering uh, remotely as well through video conferencing. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to access this uh, that um, don't necessarily at this time need to be done uh, in person. And thank goodness for that. It's nice to know that such a useful practice um, can be done. Uh, using the current technology that we have, even in the midst of stay-at-home orders and directives from our government. You know, for our audience members with cognitive impairment, be that mild cognitive impairment or dementia, do you see mindfulness as a useful practice for someone's thinking their or their memory or mood? Definitely. And there's, there's a lot of research that is coming out that is supporting this. I'm going to share a few specifics. Um, definitely has been some research showing that mindfulness practice may um, have a positive effect on attention, on cognitive functioning, psychological well-being, um, and sort of reducing systemic inflammation, all of which can have a direct impact on people that are experiencing cognitive impairment, um, mild cognitive impairment, or, or dementia. Um, in addition, there's some, been some research in this area around the benefit that mindfulness has to support people in perspective taking, mental flexibility, and uh, sort of reducing the negative impact of stressful events on people. Um, and it's this sort of ability to reappraise or ability to have perspective on these uh, sort of unpleasant events uh, that has actually been shown to increase prefrontal brain activity, uh, which has a direct impact on people uh, with cognitive impairment or, or dementia, can be very supportive. 
the final piece I wanted to share about this is there, there is a significant amount of research showing that mindfulness practice can be really helpful for the caregivers of people with dementia as well. Um, decreasing experience of depression, um, you know, mitigating that experience of, of sometimes feeling uh, burdened in caring for family members or loved ones with dementia. Now, what's your recommendation for someone wanting to start a mindfulness practice? And where does one begin? So this is an excellent question. And so I, I just bringing my clinical experience forward, I like to meet people where they're at. So if somebody is coming to me and saying, hey, I've heard about this mindfulness thing. I'm really interested in learning more about it. I want to practice more. I, I'm... I have this time, this period in my life where I can actually dedicate some some energy towards this. Where would you recommend I start? At that point, if that's where a person is at, then I would say start with the UW Health Mindfulness Program. Um, it's extremely uh, well-developed. It's 26-year history plus at this point in time. Um, and there are many different avenues to tap into it from the UW Health Mindfulness Program. Uh, there are some sort of entry-level foundational courses that we have, which are the MBSR course, as well as a Mindful Awareness Practice course, which is a six-week course. that sort of set the stage for uh, a long-term mindfulness practice. And there is a multitude of different other courses that are offered through the mindfulness program to really, again, meet people where they're at. So I had mentioned before the mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting course. There's a mindfulness for um, people of color course, mindfulness course in Spanish, um, talking about mindfulness in motion course, uh, mindful photography, mindfulness in aging, um, mindfulness for smokers, mindfulness for um, uh, for eating awareness as well. Uh, and again, I have much gratitude for all of the teachers in this program. Uh, the development of, of programs for for youth as well. Uh, so mindfulness program for families uh, with young children, for middle schoolers and for teens as well. That's really uh, a really great resource if people are, are local in Madison. And of course, some of those programs, I'm sure, are available in other places in the country and the world. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is a, is a well-known program that I know other institutions have. I wonder what you would say to this, because a lot of people ask me about online programs or phone apps or other other opportunities that they can do from home. How, how do you feel about those? Yeah, I, I, think, I think they can be really helpful. I think it would be very supportive for people. Um, and again, it's, it's another way to sort of uh, explore, investigate, discover mindfulness practice in a way that fits with where you're at right now in your life. For, so for some people that I see in clinic, I'm, you know, they're like, hey, I'm interested in mindfulness. Um, I'm interested in an app in particular. And so if there are apps that people are interested in, I'll, I'll often share uh, some, some ones that I think are, are well done would be Headspace, uh, Calm, C-A-L-M, um, Buddhify 
is another good one. Um, uh, another one that comes out of the VA hospital system, which uh, is free to use, is called Mindfulness Coach. Um, also, very well done app. Um, so that's that's something that people can sort of tap into from home. I think uh, there are there are a lot of really wonderfully written books uh, as well. If people are interested, sometimes as a sort of starter book. For some people is I will mention John Kabat-Zinn, uh, his book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Um, that can be an introduction for some people. Um, and, and again, that's, that's just barely, barely scratching the surface. There are so many well-written books um, that meet people where they're at and kind of where they like to begin with their, their understanding and practice of mindfulness. And we will have some of those um, resources and links in our notes section on the podcast. So for those listening, uh, if they go to their, our website, we'll be able to, to share those. But you know, as we talk about mindfulness as a practice and as a component of what is needed for overall well-being, I would like to end by asking what you specifically are doing to stay healthy and maintain well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks, Dr. Shin. I, uh, this has been a time that I've really recognized as sort of a global pause. And as much as things have been busy clinically, um, I've been tuning in to listen to what does this mean? What does this sort of global pause mean to me? And have been taking time to uh, exercise uh, every morning with my wife. We either go for a run or we go for a bike ride in the morning. Um, I make sure that I'm, I'm getting to sleep at a reasonable time. Um, usually it's pretty late for me, but I've been aiming towards 10 and 10.30, which is, which is good for me. Uh, eating well, cooking, cooking as much as I can and, and uh, doing my best in that way um, and, and practicing in practicing meditation. Um, for me, what's shown up recently is um, different types of compassion meditations um, that have been supportive for me and my own experience of the anxiety and the fear and the stress that have been present recently. Um, and um, as a way for me to um, sort of attend to uh, attend to that feeling or that experience in our community as well. Well, with that, thank you so much for being on the podcast and being able to share all of this information with our listeners during this very scary, um, this very scary time, but something that we are going to get through. So thanks. Thank you, uh, Dr. Vinny, for being on Dementia Matters. Thank you, Dr. Chin. Please subscribe to Dementia Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise 
from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research, Education, and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Bonnie Nutkinson and edited by Bashir Adin. Our musical jingle is Organisms by Chad Crouch. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. That's dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.